Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, part two of our, our, our study last week in James, uh, actually James chapter two. Take your Bible, look at James chapter two. We're going to uh, look at the faith that saves. Yeah, we started last week, but with our wonderful testimonies we had last week, we got, we got uh, a little short on time. You know, it's actually reported uh, with our economy being in the funk and in the uh, recession that they say it's in, that there have been many, many counterfeit bills floating around. I hope that you haven't uh, found that uh, there's one made its way to your wallet. Anybody here fi- find that you've got a counterfeit $20 bill? Al, have, did you got one? Was it a 20 or what? Uh, you mean you don't, they don't replace it? Is that right? And then they say, after a couple days of business, they say, do you remember who gave it to you? (laughs) You had such a big bill, you'd remember that, you know, 20. (laughs) Yeah, wow. No, I didn't know that's how that worked. You're out 20 bucks then. Well, that's a bummer, isn't it? That's a bummer, yeah. Well, they say that there's a proliferation of that with the economy. I don't know who's running the printing press, but in the area here, I read um, maybe within the last year that there was quite quite a number of of uh, bills, and they weren't the hunt. They were some hundreds, but they were the smaller bills that were were floating all over the place. They were they were absolutely counterfeit. Well, these fake bills are being passed for the real ones until they're discovered and destroyed. I thought reimbursed, but I guess not. Well, they're not genuine, though they appear to be. They appear to be. Well, at least to most of us that that take it, but uh, to a real banker, I guess, they say that they can tell the feel of of the paper, and they can tell by looking at it, and they make them study, I'm told, in days gone by, what a real bill looks like. You don't have to study all the phonies. Uh, just have to study the real deal, and then when you end up with a false, when you're like, whoa, that doesn't feel right, that doesn't look right, and uh, so you can spot that which is a counterfeit. Well, in a, in a lot of ways, uh, this parallels the saving faith that we're talking about, the genuine faith from the counterfeit faith, for some faith appears to be the real deal, when in fact, lo, lo and behold, it may be counterfeit. It may be the faith that does not save. Remember, faith alone saves. But a faith that is alone does not save. That little jingle, you might want to write that down. Faith alone saves. But a faith that is alone does not save. That's what James's theme is in this part of, this, uh, of his epistle. Last week, we discovered that the faith that saves produces work. It shows itself. It's alive. Verse twenty-six of our text. It uh, it uh, it uh, it it's it's 
It's breathing. It's active. It's vital. It's alive. It does this. And Abraham displayed his uh, genuine saving faith in, uh, we saw that in Genesis 22, whereby God, who said, Abraham, I want you to offer your son, your only son. He was a son of promise. He's a son of this old man who had, uh, he and his wife uh, were able to even uh, uh, to involve themselves physically at that aged state. And these are not funny numbers. And it's something you go like, well, wait, they're hundreds of years. Maybe he was like a teenager. No, he's an old man. You know, God said, you're going to have a son. So, you know, there is divine human. And, and she, you know, she had to be willing as well. Sarah's 89 to conceive a child. And then after a few years, I mean, uh, she conceives, bears a son. Then the years pass. And now Isaac, this beloved son of promise, God says, I want you to offer him on Mount Moriah. Now, that was an enormous test. We saw that. We don't want to re-preach a message from last week, but you think about it. If you did this week, it's an amazing account. Uh, They're in 22, one and following. Remember that? The boy and I will return. Both of us, we will return. What a statement of faith. Where where are you going? We're going up here to Sacramento. We're going to worship. He tells their attendants, you stay with the animals and we will return. Wow. And Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit more what Abraham was thinking, that, that God, uh, that Abraham th- uh, thought that because uh, Isaac was a son of promise, that God would certainly resurrect him, bring him back to life. Now, nowhere in the Word does uh, was God ever call upon human sacrifice. Never. In fact, the Canaanites practice that all the time. It's one of the wicked things that caused God to spoo them out of the land in the judgment of that. God heard, uh, Abram heard God's voice clearly, acted upon it, that he evidenced that he was redeemed. He was not even going to withhold that which meant more to him than his own life. And most of us would say that, wouldn't we? Would we not die for our children? We would. Most of us would. I would do that. I would die for my wife. I would die for my kids. Good to think about that. We live in a day where people are utterly selfish, and they don't even think about that. There are things worth dying for. I would willfully do that. If someone broke into my house, I would go tearing after them with a bonsai. You don't want to be near me breaking into my house at night. Okay? Uh, I said that to my kids. I would do that. I would do that. I would do that. Abraham would do that for his son. Now God said, no, I want you to... And think about Isaac. We didn't use on that last week, but Isaac is about 16, maybe 17 if we're right. He had to willfully allow his father to maybe tie his hands, lay him on the wood. Imagine that. Father, where's the lamb? I mean, both are astounding. Abraham and Isaac trusting his father on that. He's a teenager. Think of that. And what God had done in his life as well. There are are enormous themes that come rushing through this passage. And Pastor James wants us to to really get a glimpse of this. Powerful. Uh, Abraham's faith was not the counterfeit kind at all. It was not a phony bill. It was genuine. It was a real McCoy. This revered patriarch, when his faith was inspected, Uh, It was found to be genuine. It was alive. He responded to God in obedience. 
in, 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 our, in true faith does. Well, Pastor James offers for us this morning a second example uh, illustrating his point that uh, faith alone saves, but a faith alone does not save. For a workless faith is a worthless faith. And now he's going to offer the example <clears throat> uh, that, uh, uh, of Rahab, the redeemed prostitute. Wow. What a huge contrast, right? I mean, you got the revered patriarch, Abraham, the father of the Jews, right? And the Arabs, incidentally, through Ishmael. I mean, at this point, a holy man, redeemed, sanctified, growing in grace, all that kind of thing. He's way over here on the spectrum, and now, way over on this end of the spectrum is a, a, uh, quite an a enormous contrast. You have uh, Rahab. She's, uh, she is a Gentile. She's not, let's say, Jewish. She's a woman. Uh, and in that day, you know, women were really outcast. The, you know, some of the Orthodox Jews say, thank God I'm not a woman. That would be their prayer. Isn't that crazy? You know, and, and that's wrong. Uh, ladies ought to be elevated, you know, and, uh, but she's a woman. She's a, a pagan uh, in Jericho. She's a Canaanite. They practice uh, offering their babies to Moloch and to the false gods of the Canaanites, and the, their cup of wickedness is full, and God said, that's it. That's it. The Israelites are going there and wipe them out. They're going to be they vomited out of the land because of their evil. In fact, God uses that as a living story to the children of Israel. And if you in time do that, the same thing is going to happen to you. You're going to be out of here. And all of a sudden, in years past, the northern tribes were carried away, never to be found again. The Assyrians carried them away. Hundreds of years later, 722 B.C., and then a hundred and so, so many years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, there in Jerusalem, and it carried away to Babylon because of their evil. That's it. For 70 years, God brought a remnant back, spewed them out. Well, that's Rahab. So you got one end of the spectrum, you have Rahab, and the other you have Abraham, and it's like Pastor James is saying, in the grace of God, it makes no difference. Isn't that great? Isn't that what? There's room at the cross for all of us. Isn't that great? I love that theme. Man. Anyway, the redeemed prostitute, the pornea. Let's, uh, let's read our text again. Look at uh, James uh, 2, uh, verse 20 to the end, but particularly verse 25 and 6. And we're going to look a little bit back at the occasion in Joshua 2, where we see the historical account of Rahab. Well, let's just read it again. Uh, James 2.20, You foolish man, James writes, do you want evidence that faith without deeds or works is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the, on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete or mature by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now notice exactly, now Rahab. In the same way, here's a second example, 
Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now look, take your Bible, also look at Joshua. uh, If you look at Joshua chapter 2, this is where we first meet her in the text. Joshua is the sixth book of of the Bible. Uh, Go all the way there. And in chapter 2, we discover the whole account that he's referring to, chapter 2, and a little bit in chapter 6, after the walls fall down. In Joshua 2, 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent his, this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the uh, the, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the, the men came to me, but I do not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up under the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax, and she had laid out what she had laid out on the roof. So the men sent out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of, of the Jordan River. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know, now listen to her confession now, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen upon us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage fell, failed because of you. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell uh, what uh, we are doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she let them down by a rope and through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. And the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have this you have tied the scarlet cord, scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and will not be responsible. And as for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on uh, our head if a hand is laid on him. 
But if you, are, you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath that you made us swear. Well, they agreed, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And, the scarlet, uh, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And we'll look at six to see the actual account. Well, there are uh, five ways. I just wanted to, to wrap this together and wrap this uh, whole study up in saying that, look, there are five ways that we as genuine Christians, if you know Christ the Lord is your Savior from your sin, there are five ways, at least, there are probably more, but five ways that you and I, as genuine Christians, are like Rahab. I mean, it's just so pronounced in this whole setting that Pastor James uses, offering the illustration that faith alone saves. Well, what's the first way? The first way uh, is, is that uh, both of us are sinners. Remember, her faith was seen as she hid the spies. That was a very dangerous thing for her to do. I mean, she put her life into her own hands. I mean, uh, the spies came knocking on her door. She welcomed them. Uh, then she hid them. And uh, uh, the city of Jericho uh, knew the children of Israel, a million and a half people on the other side of the Jordan River, not too far away. And uh, somehow someone had seen something and reported to the king and, uh, and so on. Well, at times then, it reminds us, when you just see your life, it's kind of a sub-theme here, that our obedience will put us at odds with our world. Don't be surprised by that. Well, we, are, we, uh, we live in a foreign place now. If you know Christ the Lord is your Savior... You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, we'll be out of step with the world around us. And the things that the world values or doesn't value will not be what you value because you're, you, you're the new creation in Christ through your salvation. And sometimes, like Rahab in her very beginning days and her little faith that is so evidenced in the hiding of the spies reminds us that uh, at times her faith will put us completely at odds with the world, and the stuff that goes on around us. Don't be surprised by that. Well, the first way we're like, we both are sinners. James chapter 2, verse 25, Joshua 2, 1, even Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31, if you want to write that down. Both of us are sinners. Well, A, in the first verse that we, introducing us to her, we discover that she's an immoral woman. She is. She's uh, what? She's a prostitute. When I say Rahab, the what? What do you say? Rahab the, the harlot. Yeah, most of us learn that with the older translation. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. That's the epitaph of her life. Rahab the prostitute. Well, as she lived in Jericho, at the time the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, and we often think of when we read our Bible, we, we look at very narrowly, very in a myoptic sense, nearsighted sense, thinking, well, that's the only thing happening in the world. Nah, there was the Jericho Times, like the New York Times or Washington Post or something. They knew I mean, what was going on around. They knew, she knew even in her own words of what uh, the Israelites had done in Egypt when they left there. She knew all about that. She knew all about uh, the wilderness wandering. She knew of, uh, that they had defeated certain kings. They knew that she knew they'd been out there for 40-some years. Now they're at uh, the Jordan River, about ready to cross over. A million and a half people or more. I mean, you can't move that many people without uh, the world knowing about it. And like a ripple effect. Now, didn't have internet. 
right? Or Facebook or whatever, right? Texting, no texting. Kids weren't there. Here we come. We're texting, you know, that kind of thing. None of that, but I got news for you. The, the, the world knew what was happening here, and they were afraid. In fact, God supernaturally was working in the hearts of the Canaanites, causing their hearts to melt. They heard these reports, the mighty nation Egypt, and that was the mightiest nation of the world at that point. It was a battle of the, of the deities, and, and God showed clearly through the plagues that the Egyptian gods were absolutely nothing, defeated every one of them, and spewed them out. They begged them to leave after the death of the firstborn. Remember that? They knew that. They knew that. And now here's this Jericho. It's a fortress, high walls. I've stood there numbers of times, listened to different lectures going on at that point, John Garstang, an archaeologist, uh, spent in the 20s and the 1930s uh, excavating and developing the site there and going way, way down. And uh, imagine, it was like a fortress. It was a very strategic location that had to be dealt with if they were going to enter the land and conquer the land. And so God brought them there first. And so Joshua sends them, and they go, and here they are. And uh, it's, uh, it's Rahab the harlot that we first meet. And she's a sexually immoral lady. She is known in Scripture as Rahab the harlot. And here's, here's a little side note, okay? This is a major thrust. Be careful how you live, okay? And can I say it? And teach your loved ones, your younger ones, be careful how they live, particularly when they're young. Because you end up forming a sort of, uh, of, of uh, description, an epithet of your life, and you may spend all the rest of your days trying to outlive that. Now, Rahab was not a harlot. I believe she was saved at this point, probably, and she was no longer a woman of the street, you know, uh, engaging in sexual immorality, okay? But all the way through scriptures, Joshua, here we are in James, in Hebrew, she's known as Rahab the harlot, trying to outlive that. It's a, it's a marvelous statement of God's grace in her life that God would save her. Really. Rahab the harlot. What do people know you as? Remember Fonzie? Some of you remember Fonzie? Remember Fonzie said that about that? Right? All he ever did was fight, I think it was one guy way back, and he beat him up. And Fonzarella, everyone was afraid of the Fonz. Right? Because, whoa, Fonzie. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But <laughs> those of you that are older like me that probably need a hip as well like me can remember that. And, and Fonzie had a reputation. You didn't mess with the Fonz because of something way back there. And, and so teach that to your kids. You know, we all fail. We all sin. Be careful. Your reputation. Because you may end up spending all the rest of your days trying to correct Everyone's thinking about that. It's funny, when I, I go to my hometown, I played a lot of sports and all that, and I go back there, and, and, and by God's grace, I did fairly well with school. Well, the reports that my mother tell me are, like, completely exaggerated. I have to go there to try and correct it. You know, like, this one gal was quite brilliant. She told my mother all the, oh, we used to, she, he and I always competed in school for the best grade, and he always beat me. She's losing her mind. She was far more brilliant. I don't know where she gets it. Or in sports, sometimes I get these faith. Hey, Zeb, they used to call me Brother Zeb. Hey, Zeb, are you still lifting weights? Are you still mighty on the gridiron? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. 
I haven't been on a football field in 29 years. You know, I get killed if I stepped out there. But it's funny how that memory is when you're young and you sort of grow old. But you know, isn't that right? You remember, yeah, he was the fullback, that guy. You didn't mess with him. He wrestled 165. He was a demon on the mat. He'd kill everybody, you know, like this kind of stuff. And you, kind of, you grow old and you can't even see anymore, but you're still that guy to your friends. It's funny how that is. Well, the same thing is true when we don't, you know, when we're not what we ought to be particularly, and we get, we get a reputation, and, and, and here's Rahab, you know, Rahab the harlot. Wow. Wonderfully redeemed. Praise God for that. No longer a harlot, but in heaven. Isn't that great? Wow. Well, B, every one of us, can I say it? We're born sinners. We, 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 are, all, we are all Rahabs, are we not? We are, no, no one has a halo here. I don't. I was born in sin, and I sin, and so do you. That's what I love about the church. I tell you that all the time. I love it. Look, there are some clubs don't even go near the door. They won't let you in. They won't. I don't care if you have a tuxedo on and pull up in a limo. They won't let you in. We don't want your kind here, you know? So you go, okay, are you sure? You know, they don't want you, you know? But the church, I'm telling you, well, is there a greater place? Yet yeah, to come in, you've got to say, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Welcome. That's it. It's, it's, it's really, it's so great. The family of God. You know, we have drug users and, and sexually immoral and perverted and thieves and murderers and just violent. And this, it, that's us. And it's the grace of God that he reaches us. He calls us. Welcome. We put out the sign. Sinners, welcome here. It breaks my heart when people say, when you invite them to church and you go like, well, I'm not good enough to, to come. Good enough to come? I don't know where you've been. Where kind of, you, what, what do you mean? You're what, come. We want you to come. I don't have any, I, what, I don't have a nice, come just the way you are, please. Amen. That's what we want. That's the church. It's the body of Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. And, and don't ever think that I'm a soul of Zed never sin. No, I have a sin bent. God is delivering me from it. Someday it'll be good riddance, goodbye forever in heaven, right? And so do you. And so here we are. And we're God's trophy. And it's not, well, I've got to try harder. Uh, if you're saved, God will do it within you. He'll make you both willing to both do and to, uh, to think and to do of his good pleasure. You'll do that. We're, we're his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Don't double your effort. If you walk away saying, I guess i got to try harder to produce this fruit, you got the wrong message. If you're saved, it is, the, it is the power of God in you that will bloom the fruit of the Spirit and all sorts of things. You'll say, I'm changing. It really is Jesus, others, and me last. Joy, right? You ever see that? That's a beautiful thing. Uh, and you'll see increasingly like that. That's what it's about. We are sinners. And, and so we are, we, we are really har harlots like, like a Rahab. Look, one, we have all prostituted ourselves before the Lord God. What do I mean? We've all been unfaithful to him. We have. Spiritually, we are harlots. Perhaps Rahab's sin is more easily seen than others. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it isn't. 
But don't fool yourself. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Never, never forget the church is the assembly of sinners forgiven. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Never. Don't forget the pit that you were dug. See, I've been saved a lot of years and and God's really grown. Never forget where you came from. Never. It's God's grace. You're his trophy. That's a Rahab. She's a great trophy. Great trophy. I used to have a lot of trophies. I don't know what happened to them through the years. I salvaged one this last week. Faith was, she's in this rampage cleaning out. Got to get rid of the clutter. Some, there's a TV show on that. Do you ever watch that, Get Rid of the Clutter? It's really amazing what, how some people live. I hope that's not you in there. But Faith, just, you know, I got to get rid of the clutter. So she's throwing, she, I'll clean out your bureau. Well, I have a lot of stuff in there that's like keepsake stuff, right? I don't know what's in there. I put it in there. I go like, where, I'll put it in there. It's safe. Well, she cleaned it out. And I, whoa, I opened it up. Like, wow, I can see the back and the sides and all the way down. It's all, where'd the stuff go? Well, I'm the junk guy in our house. I take the trash out. <clears throat> it's kind of pathetic with a bad hip kind of dragging the can down the driveway. But I get it down there. And lo and behold, I find there's a bag with a lot of my stuff in it. I'm going, like, going through here. And I'm like salvage, I'm rescuing, saving. And there's my, I showed some last night, there's my little trophy. The first one I ever got when I was 10 years old. I pitched the championship game, the Mounties, you know, sidearm, right? I dreamt and I, I wish I'd say I prayed for that. Finally, we won. I almost lost in the sixth inning. They got seven runs in. That's the whole story. Anyway. I saved the trophy from the trash. Faith, I didn't know what that's meant. It means, it means more to me than my cars, you know. That's the only one I got left. I used to have, I don't know where they are. I, honey, I talked to you later. The big ones and all these are gone. You know, they had dust on them. They're going out. You know? I don't know. That's what Rahab is. She's not a baseball trophy. She's a trophy of God's grace. That's what you are. If you know Christ the Lord is your Savior from sin, it's, you're, you're a trophy. And the best is yet to come, and heaven is our home. There's a place there with my name on. I can't wait to see it someday. Yeah, we, we are Rahab. We, we, both of us are sinners. We are. Look, look there's a second way that, that uh, we are, wait, quickly, that we bear a commonality. Both of us were not born into families of privilege, Right? She's a Canaanite. A Canaanite. Wow. Rahab was not an Israelite. She was, she was a, a cursed Canaanite. Remember, they were all to be executed. It was God's judgment. In Israel, the children of Israel going into the land were to be God's instrument of judgment. Their sin had filled up to the cup, and it was overflowing. And God said, enough is enough. And you read your Bible, and you study history, you see that. That when a people, and God is the one who puts peoples at different places and nationalities and languages around the world, and when, when the evil of that people reaches a certain limit, the odds are that's it. I often think about that with our country, you know. And when God, I, I pray, God, Lord, hold back your hand of judgment. We need a good paddle here. America's not good anymore. Have you noticed? Have you? They used to say... Uh, 
uh, America is blessed because she's good. There was a goodness in the culture, a goodness. You know, I, I see a very ugliness, a very selfishness, a very perverseness in the culture today. Um, and, and I wonder when God says, you read, if you're a student of history, you, you, you know, the Romans thought they'd be forever. They're gone. You can't even buy a Coca-Cola with their money today. You can't. Go to, go to Wendy's for lunch after and, and order a, a uh, we get those little hamburgers there. Give them a Roman coin. They'll give it back to you. We don't take this. Gone forever. The Grecians, the Persians, the great... Uh, uh, the Medos, uh, the Medians, I mean, the Egyptians, gone. Gone. That's the history of mankind. problem is we live too short and we don't know the past, or we willfully don't. And here she is. She's, uh, she's under a curse. Wipe them all out. Uh, she was born, we say, on the wrong side of the tracks, right? Humanly speaking, she stood far away from even ever hearing about the one true God, Born in Jericho and Canaan and not even near the children of God. Boy, far away, far, far away from um, hearing of the, of the one true God that is the Lord. And yet God opened her heart and caused her to believe. We read that confession in her confession, Joshua 2. Furthermore, God in his grace, and this is even more astounding, had Rahab the harlot become part of the human lineage of the Lord Jesus. You can check that out in Matthew 1.5. I mean, it's, I had a sermon one time preached on the women that are listed in that genealogy, and they're like, I just, I tell you, what grace? I mean, it's, it is amazing grace. It always is amazing grace, but it's just sometimes it's just to be more amazing. And God says, I'm going to take this pagan woman who's on the wrong side of the tracks. She's a Canaanite under judgment. I'm going to save her. The rest of the city is going to be decimated, those outside her home, and I'm going to have her part of this line from the seed of the woman of Eve, Genesis 3, all the way through, and she is going to be a part of the genetic material of the, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, is that, I mean, do you get the message here? She's the great-grandmother of David. What grace? Man, it's just thrilling when you read it. Wow. Well, B, what can we, most of us are not Jewish. We, I have some Jewish blood. My name is a former Zebulun. You remember that one of the tribes of, of Israel? And we come from Germany, my, my father's side. But I don't, you know, I don't know back beyond very far. 1888, they came over from Germany, outside of Berlin area. Zebulun, a form of that. Well, that's all I know. We got some other things thrown in there, English and Irish. and <laughs> Heinz 57, you know, same like most of you. Right? Uh, but we're, most of us are not Orthodox Jew by birth. We're far away from uh, God's people through Abraham, particularly during the church age when God is, uh, is now no Jew, no Gentile. But yet, if God has saved you, He's grafted you into His family. He's grafted you. It's an agricultural turn, take a plant, graft it in, and it sprouts life. That's you. You who were far away have been brought near, grafted in, made children of the king by grace. Wow. Wow. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul just touches on that. 
when he writes to these believers in Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, let me just read that for you. Remember, he says, now these are believers, that at, at that time when you were saved, you were, or before saved, you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus who uh, who once uh, you you were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Talk about being born on the wrong side of the tracks. That was us, most of us, all of us, like like Rahab. We weren't born with a most of us with the the old uh, uh, silver religious spoon in our mouth. You know, most of you are not sons of David or sons of Abraham, right, so to speak. We're in a church age anyway, but uh, but the grace of God has visited you if you know Christ. Wow, it's amazing. Even though we weren't born with being spiritual Rockefellers, right? And the last way, number five, that we're like, both of us must invite others to come to find safety from destruction. Family and friends and those near. You see, Rahab saved her family from God's judgment upon Jericho. She saved them. Her, her words of the spy, you know. You know, when destruction falls, you know, my life, save my life, your life, my life. And, and then it was anyone who is in your home that was affixed to the wall of that fortress city will be delivered. The rest of the city is, is to be wiped out. And the, the weeks that followed that, she went after them and said to her mom and her dad, doesn't say in the text, but her mom and dad and friends and family, come in, come in, come in. This is the only place of safety. Now let me remind you, the Jericho folks, that fortress was enormous. They thought they were safe in the walls of that city. And God is working on a lot of planes here. Uh, they were not safe. A lot of people think they're safe. I got my health, I'm safe. I got, I got money in the bank, I'm good forever, I'm safe. I'm, I live in America, we're safe. You're not safe. You're not safe. If you're apart from Christ, you're not safe. And she bid them, she sought them, come in. This is the only place to save. She couldn't explain it. Well, why is it? How is that? You, know, you read the text, and I, I, I try to visualize how did her place stand when the, all the walls fell and everything else collapsed and all these people died? I can't explain it. She couldn't explain it. She said, I, I can't I give you all the details. Get in here. It's the only place of safety. Now, the, the parallel is so, so overwhelming for us in, in Christ that uh, there's, there's safety only in Christ. In Christ alone, there is safety. That's it. That's it. And, and God has placed this in families uh, for his glory to compel people, to urge people, to pray for people, to come into Christ, to be in Christos, to confess your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. It's the only place of safety. You don't know if you're going to step off the curb this week and get hit by a bus. You don't know that. Or a bad report from the doctor, or this or that. Come in today. Don't waste another day. She compelled them to come, and they were delivered, every one of them. You can check it out in, in Joshua chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. I, oh, I have it on your sheet. 
and all that were in her dwelling. It was the only place of safety in the midst of that total destruction. They found safety in her home. They were saved because she compelled them to come in. The rest all perished. It was like Lot when the angel said, uh, get your family, get out of Sodom. It wasn't get out of Dodge, you know, get out of Dodge. <laughs> get out of Sodom. This place is going to be destroyed. Their sins come up to here, and God said, enough is enough. You know, that's true, you know. Do you know that? There is a day when God says, enough is enough. We're so used to the long-suffering of God, we just like, oh, he's the great grandfather in the air. He just kind of let us go on and on and on and on. He doesn't really care. God is merciful, he is long-suffering, he is patient, but there is an end to that, and the door closes, and someday the door is going to be closed, and you will not be able to be saved. And your loved ones, they won't. It'll close, and that'll be the end. Bid them to come in and find safety from destruction. We, we are to invite people to Christ. He alone is the place of safety. And so how do we do that? Your life really ought to be this. Here, here it is. This is how you do it. Say, how do I do it? Uh, share Christ. Do it any way you can. Write letters. Do it on the internet. In, uh, bit by bit. Give them a track. Give them a book. Talk to them. Have them in. Have a meal. Share with them. Share your life. Tell what Christ said. Share. 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 Scatter the seed. Matthew 13. Wherever you go. A little bit here. A little bit there. You know. Don't let it end with you. Share. And then uh, what's the second? You want to know the second key? Care. Love people. Love people. People are so selfish, they don't often care about anyone else but themselves. Just love people. Care for them. It's, it's, it's the dynamic of Christ in you. When you're sharing the gospel and you care for people, their burdens, their needs, their concerns, their material things that they need, be there. Sacrifice. Live a selfish, selfless life. That's Christ in you. And that dynamo will impact. It's like throwing a stick of dynamite. It will have an enormous effect on people. Live with eternity in view. So share wherever you go, however. Get the word out there. Don't dump on people. Don't back the truck. Here it comes. Don't do that. But pray for wisdom how to do that. You know, but then love people. And then third, pray. And pray the seed of God into people's hearts. Do that. That's how you do it. This is our mission. It's God's, uh, because God's judgment is coming soon, like the destruction of Jericho. Uh, John MacArthur, writing on this James passage, puts it this way, It is the vortex of the great plans, the decisions, and the crossroads of life where ambitions, hopes, dreams, destinies, and life itself are at stake, that is where true faith, true faith, unfailing, reveals itself. But he also said it's, it's true in the same way, and it's that same vortex that false faith reveals itself to be false. For the life, the body without the spirit is dead. Well, let's close just a couple of lessons for life and we'll be done. Number one, the faith that saves evidences itself because it is alive. It's alive. Fruit and works everywhere. Fruit of the Spirit in your life. Evidence, the things that you do everywhere. 
Number two, I call you to test yourself. Examine your own heart. Paul said that. Examine your heart to make sure you're found in the faith. I can't do it. If your eyes turned all like chartreuse, I go around checking all your eyeballs to make sure, oh yeah, you're saved. Your eyes are chartreuse. I'm not even sure what color that is. You know, but uh, yeah, it doesn't happen. So you have to examine your own heart. Lord, am I truly saved? You know, if I'm not, draw me to the cross and save me today. Test yourself. Make sure that you're saved. Examine your own heart. Make sure it's not the counterfeit type of bill, but it's the real deal, the genuine salvation. Number three, if saved, the Lord calls you to live here and to serve him. Live out your faith in a godless land, Jericho. God, you're still here. You're warm and breathing. And if you're saved, God didn't take you. Say, well, I want to go with the spies. They're leaving. No, you're here. I'm here. God's given us something to do. Let's do it. Let's not be twiddling our thumbs, wasting our days. Say, Lord, use my life. Fulfill the purpose for which you've made me and saved me. I want to be a blessing. Make me a blessing. That's a simple, make me a blessing to someone today. That little song. And then be that. And may the joy of the Lord strengthen. Number four, if saved, the Lord desires you to see others saved. He does. Bid them to come. Come into the safety. Not Rahab's house, but to the cross. To the cross of Jesus Christ, your family. Pray for them. Live Christ before them. Urge them. Remember, it's God that will open their hearts, but faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. They need to hear the word. Maybe write a letter. They can read it and reread it and reread it without the pressure of you there. Just express the gospel, the Romans road. Tell what God's done in your heart and life. Maybe you've not done that. Your family, your friends, those near you. They're strategically located. Out of six billion people in the world, they're the ones that are around you. God didn't say, well, I didn't know they were going to be around you. No, he's doing something. Tune into it. Most people are, have no idea what God is doing. Tune into what he is doing. And be a part of that process. That's really living. I'm telling you, it is. Getting above the day-to-day. You know, I go to sleep, I eat, get up, work, go to sleep. Get, uh, you know, 25,000 of those. If, maybe. Right? No, come on. Get into the game. Number five and last. Number five. Finally, faith alone saves. Here it is. Faith alone saves by God's sweet grace. But a faith that is alone. Does not save. Oh, I hope you never forget that little, little expression. I hope it makes all the difference in your life. If I can, if you're here today and you, and you say, "Well, I don't, I don't think I'm saved," if I can help you in any way to make sure that your sins are forgiven, every last one of them, I want to help you with that. Don't let the day go without saying, "Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner." I receive you as Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. I want to be what Pastor James is saying here. Thank you.